Welcome to the Spectral Phenomena Podcast, your source for all things offbeat, strange, unexplained, and paranormal. Here are your hosts, Ken Sanner and Mustafa Sadiq. Anyway, so uh, I just wanted to tell you that I recently got a Facebook message inviting me to join the Illuminati. Huh. So for a, a small sum of $25,000, I can uh, be a member of the global elite. How did you get to the point where someone, huh? That's so cool. I don't know, but uh, I just, I, I felt like I should share, share that with you. Maybe you liked one too many, like, uh, Ghislaine Maxwell and, What's the other dude? Shit, Epstein's uh, posts or, you know, like the stories about him and maybe they're just looking I for I promise you I have not liked anything Jeffrey Epstein has ever posted. Well, no, not posted, <laughs> but like the stuff about him. I mean, and I'm telling you, dude, there's a lot. That's a lot of crazy conspiracy that's coming out about that, too. Like the attorney that shot him. Oh, uh, yeah. Or I it's not, all about not, that. Not that, that shot them. That yeah, yeah, shot the, the, the son who got shot. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, the well, the dude that did it, it's like... uh. Apparently he was, and I can't, you know what, I'll tell you what, man, it's, uh, th- these days it's not about lack of information, it's overabundance of information. That like You don't know what you can trust. Exactly. And it's so hard to know. Everything is fake news, except that it's real, except that it's fake, except that it just depends, you know, what narrative you want to buy into. And they can't both be right, Yeah. but at the same time, what do you do? What do you say? Yeah. And like, and then you have, you have like podcasts that are, well, from my perspective, podcasts that are paranormal podcasts that talk about some pretty crazy shit, but then they're like, oh, well, the dude was actually like a far right men's activist and stuff like that. And then you speak of the thing, you're like, well, this sounds a lot like they're trying to discredit a guy, you know? Right. I don't know. But maybe he was. Yeah. Also um, imagine this. Imagine this, Moose, a Triassic sauropod roaming the earth, stomping through the little explored Congo jungles, rarely sighted by human eyes. Yet this is a story which has been reported for centuries by those who have braved the area, a story so barely believable but so consistent that it demands our attention. Welcome back to Spectral Phenomena. Today, we're going to discuss a topic that has fascinated both of us for a long time, the idea that there could be a living sauropod dinosaur in the African jungle. Just how likely is it? You be the judge. My name's Ken Sanner, and this is Mustafa Sadiq. Hi, guys. Very enthusiastic opening. Thank you. Well, I just think that a big dinosaur shits a lot, so I I don't know. Uh, I, I guess I'm starting from behind, but continue. Okay. Well, I missed what you said because uh, I had a glitch there. Oh, I was but just I'm saying, sure it was good. like, uh, you know, like a uh, a big animal shits a lot, so it's kind of hard to hide. But we'll get to that. Well, point. big animal does shit a lot, so it is kind of hard to hide. So we'll get into that. Um, and, and you know, as as we talked about before the show really started, this was a very difficult topic to research. We neither of us expected this to be so hard to research. Um, when, when you look at the stuff that's out there, a lot of it is very kind of colored by ideas of creationism, 
by ideas of people being dismissive about native tribes people i was gonna say colonialism yeah colonialism yeah i mean it's 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 a very convoluted topic it's very hard to find an objective source on this i mean you're either looking at a newspaper article that's completely dismissive of the topic or you're looking at creation.com like those are the two extremes of this topic it is so hard to drill down and find anything we did our best i mean we we really did both spend weeks looking into this i mean moose bought a book and i don't think he'll ever get that money back it i just apparently was pretty painful i don't even know if we're allowed to like say titles and stuff but i'll tell you what if you google books about our topic uh, I'm gonna let you feel the, like saying it pro- appropriately. Um, okay. But, but uh, so for yeah, the record, go ahead, we're go ahead, talking about yeah. Mokele Membe, yeah, the dinosaur of the Congo. Is that the official uh, way to say it? Are you sure? I don't know. Mokele Mbembe. Yeah, that, yeah. No, that sounds good. Yeah. Mokele Membe. I don't know. It sounds good. One who um, stops the flow of rivers. Also a ghost. Ooh. Yes. <laughs> Don't tip into so, my yeah, theories, so, Ken. Okay. Oh, okay. Well, let me uh, step back. No, no, you can go. So, yeah. Back. So, this was a really, really heavy topic. Not so much in it being a like hardcore, you know, emotionally, spiritually, whatever, hard topic. Just like not a lot of information out there. So, we're going to do our best to present it as clearly and um unbiased as we can and then we'll talk about our theories but yeah not an easy topic so mokele membe what are some of the characteristics of this creature so usually what we think about when we see descriptions of this creature are that it's a sauropod dinosaur so think like brachiosaurus brontosaurus diplodocus something like that sometimes you'll see a plesiosaur dinosaur floated out there um but mostly it seems to be a, a, a land-dwelling creature that spends a lot of the time in the water. Um, they usually say it's about elephant size. Sometimes you'll see two, or two hippos is something I came across. Um, but it's it, pretty standard in its, its description of size and shape, grayish. Um, the One in, interesting thing are uh, scales. Some things say there are scales. Some say there's not a lot of scales, easily visible. Uh, again, it depends on the source you look at um in one article i found on the scientific american talked about it really being elephant sized with a long neck a small head uh daily star article which is you know a very highly reputable source as well um talks about it being the size of two hippos less scaly it's really hard to say um these sources though really do talk about it being uh an animal that has a high affinity for water. Usually when it's sighted, it's in the water. As Moose said, you know, they talk about it stopping the flow of rivers. You know, this is something that sits there and it it can actually block an entire river. So it's a very large animal. Um, One thing that comes up uh, when we talk about some of the the casting that's been done for footprints is that it has three three clawed feet. Um, A lot of the information that I was able to find for this article or for this episode comes from the cryptid archives, which has some pretty good information there. It talks about being a three clawed creature, a plant eater, having a single horn, a tusk or a crest on its head. Um, we talked about the, 
the idea that it's called a ghost by some people. Um, another interesting thing I found uh, in terms of its physical description or attributes uh, came from that Daily Star article again. Um, and it talked about the creature having poisonous flesh. Apparently a village killed and ate one and a lot of them died. So that's kind of what I came up for with the uh, physical characteristics of the creature. Moose, did you find anything different or anything you want to add? No, the biggest uh, thing that I wanted to harp on, um, and I, I mean, you kind of already alluded to it, is um, it, the size of the proposed animal is not what you saw in Jurassic Park, right? So it's not these massive um, uh, plant-eating dinosaurs that can reach up and, you know, hit the top of a 120-foot tree, um, which kind of plays into this thing being an actual... Um, you know, physical animal versus a spiritual uh, being, in my opinion, because uh, as the earth has evolved, um, things that big can't really exist anymore, right? And we, and we won't get into too, too much detail about that, but basically if something was to survive, it would be forced to adapt uh, into a, or evolve into a smaller, um, uh, smaller animal. But please continue. That's, that's the only thing I had um, okay, so yeah, so I, I think we're pretty much on the same page with the physical characteristics. I think you bring up a really good point about how looking at the creature and looking at how things, how life has evolved on Earth since, you know, the Triassic, Triassic period, um, things have gotten smaller generally, right? So do we really have the uh, flora to sustain a creature the size of an actual brontosaurus or a diplodocus or something like that. I don't really know that we do. Uh, I'm not a dinosaur evolutionary expert, so I can't say that for sure. Um, but I think that is a consideration and it would make sense why this thing is smaller than those dinosaurs that existed, you know, 6,000 years ago. Just mm -hmm. kidding. Many millions. I was going to say ago. what? Uh, <laughs> and I mean, to that point, I, and I know we're going to discuss this further, but I just want to say regarding, um, you know, if, if when you if, when you guys listened to our episode last time, we you know we talked about uh, you know the, the surface to volume ratio, right? And we talked about cellular metabolism, and um, the energy needs of something that big um, compared to the oxygen levels that are uh, available. Um, you know, there's just not that much oxygen that was on the Earth compared to when you know uh, uh, dinosaurs roamed the Earth. Um, Again, don't want to walk too much more on that. I will be the first one to say that I'm not a paleontologist. I'm not an environmental guy. Please don't attack us about uh, global warming because we're not going to go there. Uh, but that, that you know, it's just. Uh, but you know, continue, Ken, and then we'll we'll return to that. Okay. So, my goal in this originally was to divide this into pre-1900 reports and post-1900 reports, and what I found was that there are hardly any reports prior to 1900. Almost every report comes after 1900, many of which come well after 1900. There are some in the 1920s and 30s. Um, nothing really substantial until you hit the 80s. Most of the stuff from the, you know, the 20s to the 80s is just like, hey, I saw something weird in the forest. Um, to back it up prior to 1900, Really, the only thing I could find 
In the 1700s, French missionaries found three clawed footprints in the Congo Basin in the mud. Um, that's really the only thing I could find. Again, that was from cryptid archives. Um, it seems odd to me that there would not be anything prior to that. Even, you know, word of mouth, tribal histories or something like that, which that said, um, there were some explorers in the 1980s that went down to uh, that area and and supposedly cataloged reports from native people. Um, and, and maybe it's just a fact of the matter that if you live in the Congo Basin, you probably don't have access, you know, to a lot of internet maybe and maybe that's why these reports aren't out there i don't know you know it's not to mm -hmm. discredit that these reports couldn't exist that they couldn't be in the tribal folklore and another thing is that apparently there is also a big stigma of talking about this creature in that area among the native peoples it's seen as a harbinger of death so it's not something that's talked about that could contribute as well that being said there were europeans down there uh, during that time who didn't have that same predisposition not to say anything about it. So if, why didn't they see it? You know, again, unless this is some sort of a spectral astral being that only appears to, you know, certain people or something like that, it, mm -hmm. it could be, you know. So do you have anything you want to touch on about pre-1900? Yeah, you know, so it, it, it's... it's um it's hard, right? So we look at how much, um, it's hard for us to see the reality of what cultures were, you know, in, in say, you know, sub-Saharan Africa, right? Or, um, India, right? So my grandmother, you know, was born in India and, you know, certain cultures you just, uh, you, we, we would talk about, for example, my culture, you know, and what she was raised in, in, uh, in a, in a, you know, Islamic household, but before then they were Hindu. And so many things that just kind of um, get lost or get glossed over when you get the imper the imperialism um, tone overtones on it, right? Um, so I can't, we can't discredit that there were some, you know, local uh, stories that came from it, right? Uh, local traditions and um, you know, religious aspects and cultural items that could have existed. Um, but I, I, it's really, especially with this topic, it's so hard to discern that from sensationalism, from w obviously Western influences that want to portray not only this animal, but this area, but the people that they, you know, were trying to, in my opinion, exploit to get a sensational story out of them. And, you know, that that is very interesting that you use that term sensational because there is a, a pretty heavy theory that a lot of these early reports of this creature were to do with the, the dinosaur sensationalism that was sweeping the United States and Europe in the early 1900s. Um, and, and that just happens to be when this thing started getting seen all of a sudden, you know, which, again, doesn't discredit the fact that there are you know, legitimate native stories and legends about it, but it's entirely possible that they were just stories and legends and that these Europeans brought them back as, Hey, this is a real deal. Guess what we saw Buy my book, you know, kind of deal. Mm -hmm. I don't know that any of these guys wrote books or whatever, but, um, they probably, you know, 
wrote papers, did interviews, stuff like that. So I just think that's something to consider. It does not discredit the idea that this thing could exist. It certainly doesn't discredit the uh, the native, you know, folklore around it. But it is a consideration that we need to take. So we move into. Go ahead. No, no. Go ahead. Go ahead. That was a, okay. Yeah. Okay. So we move into the post nineteen hundred reports. I mentioned that, you know, from the basically the, the, the early 1900s, 1910s through the 1980s, um, particularly the 1910s through the, uh, the 1940s, there were a lot of witness accounts uh, without any hard evidence. I mean, we could sit here and talk about it, but basically they all saw a dinosaur. That's pretty much what it is. It was an elephant-sized dinosaur. It ate leaves, it sat in the river, and that's what it did. So moving into some harder evidence, allegedly, we have a couple people, and by a couple I mean two, uh, which is what a couple means, um, who really came up with uh, some interesting stuff. The first one is Herman Rootgeisters, if I'm saying his name right, 1981. He collected what he believed were droppings from the creature footprint casts recordings of the sound uh the herman rootgeisters uh recording of mokele membe it's r-e-g-u-s-t-e-r-s um you can hear that sound of an alleged uh mokele membe then we have from 1980 to 1981 we have roy mackle roy mackle is an interesting character and he could probably actually be the subject of an episode all on his own um, because he was a professor of zoology. He did a lot of work in virology and he took an interest in cryptozoology and he really tried to work to promote respectability of the field. Now he didn't come up with a whole lot of like hard evidence stuff. Um, but what he did do was he went down to the Congo basin and some of the other areas where this creature has been sighted and collected a lot of stories of Mokele Membe from the natives of the area. So that I think is an interesting take. He did now he he did get one good footprint photo. Um, that that was kind of like his hard evidence that he got. So that's pretty interesting. Um, and then the last well we have two more things. So we have a Japanese film crew in 1992 who observed something large and apparently with a long neck coming out of a lake. Now, they actually got this on video, and you can YouTube this video, look it up on Cryptid Archives, and actually see this video of this creature. Um, and then the last thing we really have is just a report. It's, a, it's the uh, Kabonga tribe reportedly killed a Mokele Membe in 1999. Uh, and that's kind of where the trail drops cold there. We don't have a whole lot of anything after that. I couldn't find anything after the year 2000. Um, which isn't to say that it doesn't exist. I don't know, Moose. Did you find anything between 1990 and 2020? There was that I didn't um, hit on uh, in 2016. Um, and I, I, I do want to uh, real quick. I just want to say what my sources were uh, for okay. like the like the evolution uh, talking stuff. And it's uh, OpenStacks.org has a fantastic concepts of biology uh, textbook. It's 
great. It's something that I'll be sourcing a lot. Um, uh, this on top of the uh, anatomy and physiology textbook that we discussed last time. Um, uh, not too much of that in this one, but uh, just uh, that as a source. On top of that, I'm not going to lie to you guys. Wikipedia was a source that we I used. I don't know if you used it or not, Ken, but uh, it's so hard to find stuff on this thing. Um, I, I shamelessly I, used Wikipedia for yeah. several things coming up. Yeah, I mean, I'm not gonna lie to you. Just a side note on Wikipedia. Um, the you know, I failed a paper in high school, and I've always been jaded because I used uh, Wikipedia as a source. And I get it, right? It's you know, there's a lot. It's all individuals putting into it. But I will tell you what, it's a great stepping off point for finding legit sources. And uh, sometimes it's one of the only uh, sources you can find. So I'm just gonna read off to you. Um, if I can just hit on sure. Wikipedia real quick. Sure, sure, sure. I think as, as long as you verify the source of Wikipedia, there's no issue. You know? Yep. I don't know. But yeah. Sorry. Continue. No, 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 no. So uh, uh, two things that I have post, uh, you know, so closer to us, actually. It says uh, in August and September of 2018, um, a film crew, uh, along with a, a DNA scientist, traveled to Lake Tele, which this is supposed to have, you know, all occurred. Uh, and it just says in one sentence, they did not find the dinosaur. However, they found a new green algae, 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 algae. So that's, that's good. Also, um, uh, in 2016, a, uh, documentary crew from South Africa tried to make an independent documentary, uh, which they, uh, well, I guess they, they successfully tried cause they sold it to discovery Africa. Um, there's a couple names listed here. Um, and apparently they tried, uh, for four weeks traveling in uh, the region um, and kind of collecting the stories, kind of like what you described. Um, it might be the same encounter. I can't remember the year that you just, you said. Um, the uh, What they had difficulty with is separating the physical and spiritual existence of, uh, of Macaulay Mubembe. Okay. Yeah, and I think that'll... Uh, I didn't put a theories... Uh note in my notes but we're definitely going to talk about theories and that'll definitely um play into that um possible ancestors of this creature again we're talking about something much smaller than the creatures i'm about to mention and there are a lot more sauropods than what i'm going to say here but we have brontosaurus we have diplodocus which is my son's favorite we have brachiosaurus and then we also have the idea that this is some sort of a plesiosaur, which are the water-dwelling animals with the long necks, the, the, except they have fins instead of feet, which really doesn't fit with a three-clawed footprint model. The uh, sauropod theory would, would obviously fit a lot better. Um, again, I'm not a dinosaur expert. I'm sure I'm missing some. Those are the, like the big three that people talk about. I know there's a lot more and someone listening to this is going to be like, Oh, what about this dinosaur? And you're probably right. Um, but, but that's what I came up with. Do you have any other, uh, possible ancestor thoughts, Moose? I don't know. This might be a good time to get into some of the, uh, biology and evolutionary thoughts. Yeah. I have. Yeah. So, um, no, I don't have any other ancestors. Um, the, uh, I'll let you get started with the biology and then I'll take it from there. Okay. All right. So when we think about the biological requirements for a creature like this to survive, the core closing argument that I came up with is we have no idea. And the core thing that I kind of came down to was we absolutely have no idea. We have no frame of reference to, to put this thing in. So 
when we think about the largest living reptiles we have, we have the largest living reptile, which is a saltwater crocodile, which is about 22,000 pounds. Um, and, and this thing is a carnivore. So its nutritional requirements are going to be very different, not to mention the fact we're talking about something magnitudes times larger. Uh, the largest living herbivore reptile is the Adabro giant tortoise, which is about 790 pounds, which is an ant to this thing. I mean, there, there's really no good way to define what this thing would need to eat, how much room it would need to survive, reproduce, establish a minimum viable population. We just don't know. The Congo Basin is about 1.5 million square miles, uh, you know, in size. Um, I started to look up stuff like the minimum viable population of elephants because, you know, they're the largest living herbivore on earth but that's not even relevant because that's a mammal and we're talking about a reptile we're talking about something so drastically unknown to us that we, we really we, we we can't put a good scientific base to it other than what paleontologists have surmised about living sort or dead sauropods you know these things haven't been alive for tens of millions of years maybe hundreds of millions of years and we just don't know. Yeah, no, I, I, I'm with you, Ken. Um, I, I do want to uh, you, so you, two things. So um, we you touched on the evolution side of things, and then you touched on the cellular metabolism side of things. So I'll talk about the thing uh, that's, uh, I think, easier first. Uh, maybe not easier, but um, the that's the metabolic needs of something this big, right? So... We talked last week, or last not last week, last time we, we discussed uh, cellular metabolism and what are the things that we know uh, we need uh, you know, for a uh, aerobic respirating um, metabolism, right? So we need oxygen, we need glucose, we need water, right? So um, oxygen, there's a certain amount of oxygen that's needed for that would be uh, inspired uh, by uh, what I'm thinking to be um, lungs, right? Lungs developed as opposed to gills or another fashion, right? It definitely, this animal would be too big to have simple diffusion as a primary mechanism. Um, Second, uh, it's going to need a lot of glucose, right? It's going to need a lot of food, um, which puts a pretty decent uh, uh, load on the environment around it. Uh, something this big would be eating uh, if we're going down the um, uh, give it the benefit of doubt and we say eats both meat and plants say it's an omnivore like a bear uh, it still needs a lot of energy right Um, lots of food so that wouldn't be really too sustainable on the uh, environment around it and not and also not be readily apparent Um, I will say this um, playing devil's advocate it, it, it does appear to be a very remote area um, I don't think that it's realistic for us to actually, you know, I, I don't know. I, I can't say that it's realistic for us to not have discovered every big species. Right. But I think we, I think we're pretty good at DNA analysis and I, I think we're really good at phylogenics, which is like, you know, the study of like animal family trees and so on and so forth. Uh, so I think we could, I think people a lot smarter than that we are understand why dinosaurs don't exist, but dinosaurs also didn't just go away, right? Um, yes, there uh, appears to be a massive uh, extinction event secondary to 
um, a massive asteroid hitting, right? And that, uh, from my understanding, is the leading theory as to why there was a massive cataclysmic um, uh, effect in the population of Earth, right? Of the of the uh, genetic diversity of Earth and the different animals on Earth, which led to something called a bottleneck event. Um, but uh, that doesn't mean dinosaurs went away. They just evolved into what we see today. We see birds, right? We see birds of prey. Uh, we see chickens, right? Um, so it, it, from my understanding, it's way more likely that these animals didn't have scales but had feathers, right? Especially, you know, by uh, uh, when we talk about the times that are closer to when we exist. Um, so, uh, we're kind of transitioning from the biology, from the, um, metabolism to the evolution talk. So, um, you brought up the concept of minimum viable population, right? So what does that mean? So there is a, a, the, the, the language of our life, right? The, the alphabet of life is DNA, right? Uh, we have nucleotides, right? So small little chemicals, um, that, uh, you know, kind of are in sequences that write up the code for life. And when you, you know, say, say a, we are assuming that this animal has sexual reproduction, uh, as a mom, as a dad, their DNA combines and there is animal, right? Uh, that DNA is code codes for everything, on how, you know, for example, you know, it codes for everything in your body, uh, but it also codes for things like the immune system, right? Um, and there's a very viable chance that, uh, you know, if you have a, a population that's too small, something called a mutation can occur, and it could be a critical mutation that kills off a whole species, right? Um, or, and I know I'm kind of rambling here, but uh, it's a lot to cover, um, maybe something happens like in today's day and age, uh, like COVID where for, you know, in a, if you have a small amount of, um, individuals that are very similar in what they're coded in, if a virus is really good at killing that specific type of code, it can kill off a population way easily. Um, so I, I know we I kind of put the cart before the horse here, Ken, uh, but, um, the, the combination of factors uh, that prevent this animal from surviving without being readily uh, seen by other people, you know, by people, combined with the fact that a small population isn't really sustainable for uh, a population to exist, kind of leads me to where we're going to go at the end, which is what I believe uh, is the reality of Mokedemebebe, but go ahead. Well, I mean, we're pretty much at the end, but I want to hop on two things. Number one, as somebody who has owned chickens for the better part of the past 10 years, I can definitely tell you that they definitely think they are T-Rexes or Velociraptors or something like that. They are vicious little things that you would never expect because they look cute and cuddly, and they certainly like a good hug, but they can be very uh, vicious, especially guinea hens, not really chickens, but guinea fowl. Uh, they definitely think they're dinosaurs. Uh, two, you brought up the idea uh, that aerobic metabolism has some very basic requirements. And, of course, you're absolutely right. But what if they don't use aerobic metabolism? What if they use anaerobic metabolism? 
No, I'm kidding. I know that's not really realistic for a creature of that size or, you know, long term. Um, but I that, mean, who that, knows, we, you know, that what, we know of, though, that we know of. I mean, you know, that we know yeah. of, that we know of. You're right. Mm -hmm. um, and, and we have to consider that, you know, the supposed, of course, all of our relatives that lived back then, but the supposed relatives of, of this thing, um, you know, the atmosphere and everything was very different back then, you know, a very different makeup of gases. And who knows, you know, maybe some aberrant evolution occurred and this thing can survive somehow. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. And, and so, so two other things, uh, can I, I forgot to mention. So, yeah, and I'm going to read this directly um, as I wrote it from Wikipedia. And it said uh, there's something called the 5500 rule, right? Uh, and it, this is directly from Wikipedia where I wrote it, uh, where I read it. It says that where uh, the 5500 rule is where a population needs 50 individuals to prevent inbreeding depression and 500 individuals to guard against genetic drift at large. And I think uh, I don't want to get into genetic drift. And, uh, you know, uh, so there's four primary um, uh, pushes of uh, or causes of uh, or things that cause evolution to occur. I don't want to get into that. I think that's a probably interesting conversation to have a later date. But um, that talks about how many animals, you know, pretty much have to survive, right, uh, or have to be alive right. in a population. And that's a lot of food for a big dinosaur, right? And, I mean, just think about if you have a dog at home, how much that dog eats if they're a larger breed versus how much they would eat if they were a smaller breed, and then how much they poop and how much poop you have to pick up. Um, that's a lot of poop. Right. And that's and that's yeah. that's hard to that's hard to just hide. Second, um, uh, it is easy to forget that the the, the thing in it, it, the thing we see on the cover of the Jurassic Park VHS you have at home, that dinosaur had natural predators. Right. And that dinosaur was not an isolated animal in its environment. There was a complicated ecological balance. Right that would sway one way or the other and but there was a balance right um i guess if we're saying this potentially could be a physical animal then we're saying that it had natural predators and i'd be sure as hell i would love to see what those natural predators are could could they be the people that we're talking about sure um but it all just doesn't really tell a a, a viable tale in my in my opinion so the natural predator thing brings up a really good point that i did not even consider and i think that is a really hardcore spot on point when you're talking about a creature like this um but i'm going to offer you a counterpoint on the poop we're going to talk about poop how many deer are out in the woods now i know they're not big but how many deer are out in the woods now i don't know if you spend any amount of time in the woods um but living in my not little, at all i'm a city boy <laughs> Living in my little log cabin up here in the woods, um, I can tell you I do not see a lot of deer poop. And I'm trekking through the woods all day with my son. I see deer all day, every day. I mean, they're out in the middle of the day in my yard. At night, they're everywhere. Um, I don't know that I've ever seen deer poop. You know, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. That's Does it decompose? Do things eat it? You know, like. I'll tell you what I see a lot of, though, Ken. I see a lot of goose shit. I have a lot of you geese, know, and I see a lot of true. goose shit. And that I would and argue that a bird is more closely related to what you know what this potentially could be than mammals. Also, and I this could be completely incorrect, but I bet deers and other uh, and uh, others, Jesus, other uh, animals that are um, God, I was going to say victims, uh, prey. <laughs> 
that are prey animals are probably pretty good at hiding their poops because they're prey and they probably don't want to be, you know. Yeah. And, and and I'll offer a counterpoint to my counterpoint is that our our guinea hens and our chickens shit everywhere and it's around all the time. And my in-laws have horses and if you go out in the horse field, they've got 20 acres. You can't walk anywhere in that 20 acres and not watch where you're putting your feet because there is shit everywhere. You so, know, I want to say something about horse shit because I went yes. to England and because we had to do it once, I went to London and uh, I saw the the mounted horsemen, right? And they have these little cubbies. Huh? They have these cubbies, <laughs> right? And so, the, so they're in these little cubbies and the horses just stand there and these guys are, you know, standing at attention or gals and, but the horse just constantly shits and then it just steps in its own shit because it has to stay put. And I'm like, right. And and so they shit a lot, man. That was disgusting. I hated that. So one more point I want to make about shit is that we're going to have to get our podcast marked explicit just because of this episode. Oh, I'm sorry. (laughs) Uh, I'm sorry. I, I probably, yeah, I guess we probably shouldn't dwell on shit too much either, but it doesn't matter. That's all right. It, it doesn't matter. Um, okay. All right. So do you have, before we wrap up on, uh, conclusions and, uh, our believing versus not believing, do you have any other points you want to make about the great Mokele Membe? Yeah. I mean, so, uh, just, I, I do want to touch on the, the, the potential that this could be like a spirit thing right like a spirit spirit manifestation it could also be a um a a psycho um uh, maybe a psychological phenomena or maybe a collection question yeah could there be and, and this is this is a really deep question when you get into you know like significant mental illness like schizophrenia or um uh, mania and bipolar disorder, psychosis, do cultural values and beliefs impact what people see? Absolutely. Ken, absolutely. And I'll tell you why. And, uh, well, I'll tell you why I'm Indian, right? I was raised in a, you know, a particular way we were, you know, we, I was raised in an Islamic household, but that household was very superstitious, uh, in particular, uh, particular family members were, and uh, you're prone to explaining things that you perceive that you don't understand in the guise or in the frame of what you are, what you know, right? Um, and if you see something that you can't explain and you have been raised in a particular environment where a particular explanation is the explanation that is accepted, then you are going to uh, classify similar phenomena in that same classification and w- how uh, we are uh, nature and nurture, right? That nurture part is what uh, teaches us what our patterns are defined as. Yeah. Yeah. I just, I think that's interesting. Now that does not account for the Europeans who say they've seen this. I think they're all bullshitting. Sorry. Am I and getting too ahead of ourselves? Sorry. To the idea of, the dinosaur craze. Okay. So we're in conclusions now. Moose thinks it's all bullshit. Um, that was going to be my question. Do you lean towards believing or not? Uh, I want, want you to know. I want to believe. Moose. I really want to believe, Ken. I'll tell you what, man. This thing, Mokele Mamembe, right after the Loch Ness Monster, Mokele Mamembe was my introduction to, 
like cryptozoology, right? I want yeah. I wanted to believe this thing, but uh, as soon as I got into probably even high school, especially college studies, and you learn like real biology, and you're like, damn, that's probably not <laughs> real, right? Like, um, I are we at the part where I can say what my theory is? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I'm gonna say that this thing, drum roll, is a psychological phenomena that is the cause it's caused by imperialistic colonizers that want to sell something, right? And they took this one idea, right, or anecdotes that were apparently unrelated and spun together a fictitious tale to spur up interest um, from a society. That's, that's my, that's my opinion. That's what I think it is. Wow. That's heavy. We can't get that political on our other podcast. No, we can't. (laughs) Um, No, that's, that's a very, I mean, it's traditional imperialistic sensationalism. That's what I think it is. Okay. We probably lost a ton of viewers from that or listeners, but I don't care. We, we, you know, we're on our second episode. We probably had, yeah, we had 10. We're now down to five, but that's okay. We're probably down um, to zero. In now. any case. We'll oh, but it's fine. The, it's that's fine. all right. <laughs> no, we're not, we're not down to zero because I'm going to download this and listen to it. So we've got at least one. I mean, this is something that I also grew up hearing about and um, had a fascination with. I really go going into this again. Like I said, you are the scully to my molder going into this. I really wanted this to be true. Um, I was probably like 50-50 on it sober and like 60-40 drunk. So <laughs> so I wanted to believe, but I didn't know a lot about it. So I really tried to learn and look at as much as I could at everything involved with it. And now I'm like 95 to 5, this thing isn't real, you know, um, unfortunately. Could there be some sort of spiritual ghostly interdimensional astral travel strange explanation for this is it hanging out with the grays on the ultra terrestrial train probably not but maybe there's that's a five at large could survive in such a small area with a breeding population and uh just uh, you know, you, then you bring up the uh, the predator aspect to it and the way this thing would just spiral out of control. Um, it just seems so unlikely. I hate to say it. I, I hate to be a non-believer on anything fun, but um, I think that's where I have to land on this one. Yeah, man. I, I, I will say so. one thing. I, I oops. Um, we did miss out on a source. Um, I was like, you know, I'm going to do some deeper digging while Ken is talking. And there's something, uh, called, um, um, Mokele Mbembe, an investigation into rumors concerning a strange animal in the Republic of Congo, 1981 by Herman A. Regusters. And I just downloaded it. Oh, I brought him up earlier. Yeah. Yeah. But did you read the whole thing? I brought him up. He was the one who got the, 
I didn't see the whole thing though, but he was the one who said he got the droppings, the footprint cast, yeah. and the sound. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, was, well, I mean, then you did cover it, but I'm gonna. I, I could for whatever reason, I just didn't see this thing. There's a picture of the guy too. Uh, I might have to download that and uh, read it. I, I think you covered it though, Ken. I, I think um, for all those reasons, I agree with you, and I think that points towards like something that's not real. With the caveat that we always don't know what we can't know, if that makes sense. Um, and I listened to another podcast the other day, and how do we know that our perception and our awareness and the dimension that we're in isn't just the equivalent of, like, you know, a lab rat in a cage, right? That lab rat is never going to know anything outside of that cage. So I'm probably going to say that at the end of every episode. But within the realm of our understanding, I think line. it's... Yeah, yeah, I probably should make a nice tagline, but uh, actually, that's actually a great idea. Um, but I think within <laughs> our realm of perception, I don't think a dinosaur exists. I hate to say it, I don't either, unless we're looking the deep, unexplored depths of the ocean. Then maybe, just maybe, there's something out Hell there. Hell yeah, man, I'll tell you that. Uh, I can agree with you on that, man. There's so much we don't know. I bet there could be a whole isolated population of things that we don't know. But So I do want to just tease one thing before we finish here. Everybody, I know we've gone a little deep into biology lately in the past two episodes. I do want to just throw one teaser out to everybody listening. The next episode will have nothing to do with biology or evolution or cells or any of that crazy stuff. It's a straight up fun paranormal topic. We're going to be talking about the demon cat of Washington, D.C. that haunts the tunnels of the Capitol. And it's going to be great. I'm going to find a way to include biology. And Moose will find a way to bring up biology. The, the biology of ghost cats coming up next week on Spectral Phenomena. So, Moose, do you have anything you want to add before we close out? No, man. I think that was good. I think, honestly, you, I think that was a great right, end transition. All right. Sounds good, everybody. Thank you so much for listening to us today. We look forward to being with you next week. Make sure you check us out on Facebook. Check us out on the Internet. Check us out on Facebook at Spectral Phenomena. Check us out on the internet, www.spectralphenomena.com. Listen to us anywhere you get your podcasts. Of course, you already know that because you're listening to us now. We'll see you next week. Have a great night, everybody, and be safe. Ken and Moose signing off. Have a good night.